1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. My name is Alan. This is Chris. Hello, everyone. My hand is extended across the table <laughs> as I point to Chris. Yes. How are you today, Chris? Doing
2: good. Doing good. good.
1: It's been a while. It's nice to be back in it's front been A little of the break just
2: to just talk about movies. A little break.
1: You know, uh, 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 life is just gets in the way keeps and uh, yeah. keeps us out of the studio a little bit more often than we'd like. But uh, we are back. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to make up a little ground here, Chris, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, it's an all-review, all-out show. We've got three reviews to make. Three. Count them. Three. More than the typical one to two that we normally try to do in a show. We have three films to review that we both have uh, thoughts and opinions on. So we're going to hit all three of those films, and then we're going to end up the show with our typical recommendation every episode that we give. On films, so this is Foot Candle Films. This is our podcast here on the Mesh TV. Where we talk about films, film news, and recommendations. So we're doing the Emoji Movie, My Little Pony, and what was the third? Oh gosh, was it the uh, the new uh, Boo to um, oh, Medea's Medea Halloween? Movie. Okay, so this our scary. Third. It's our scary podcast. That would be
2: scary <laughs> to discuss those three. Now I.
1: I I have not seen any of the three you just mentioned rattled off there. So I do feel bad that, you know, I'm just, ass- we're assuming they're not great movies, but yeah, I'm sure they have their fans out there. But no, we will not be talking about those three. Let me rattle off the three we will be talking about. Uh, first off, we're going to discuss the latest Marvel movie, which is Thor Ragnarok. Then we're going to move into some completely different territory as we talk about the latest film from writer and director Mike White, starring Ben Steller. Brad's status, and then following that, an interesting choice in that it is a straight to Netflix film, a Netflix finance film also starring a Mr. Ben Stiller. We are going to discuss the Meyerwitz stories. Parentheses, new and selected. Parentheses. There you go. Thank you, Chris, for adding that complete title in there right. for us. So let's go ahead and jump right in. And again, after we do the reviews, we'll come back and have each of us giving off a recommendation that we'd like to share with you. A film that either we just recently caught up with or is available online, we think is worth your time to check out. So, Chris, how about we go first off to a far off planet, the <laughs> planet of Sakar? As we go to discuss the latest Marvel movie starring a Mr. Chris Hemsworth as Thor Ragnarok.
2: Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me.
0: I need to stop her here and now to prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So I'm putting together a team old days surprise
1: this would be such fun chris we have reviewed quite a number of marvel cinematic universe films on this show
2: sometimes i feel like that's all we review but then i look back and i'm like no we have reviewed something besides comic we have
1: okay but i do think we've probably talked about just about everyone that's come out I would say. I I think that's kind of where we are. Probably pretty close. Yeah. So we are here. I have lost track of how many films Marvel's put out.
2: Dear Lord, I don't know.
1: All I can, let's just focus on this. This, we know for a fact, this is the third Thor movie. Right. We know that. I am,
2: I am pretty sure.
1: I don't know what number this falls in the entire universe of Marvel films, but I do know third Thor movie.
2: Solo Thor movie. Not Solo Avengers, Thor movie, but correct. just
1: Solo Thor, yeah. So let me just back up before we get into me asking your opinion and getting your pros and cons on the film. Context, I like it. It's well, good. just a little background knowledge. Okay, okay let's, let's assume this is somebody's first time listening. And they're like, hey, you okay. know what? I wonder how Alan's perception of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is and if that might skew or distort his review of this film. Fair okay, enough. So let me just back that up. I generally am a fan of the Marvel Universe films for a couple reasons one i like the idea of serialized fiction i always have i love the idea of a chapter and then you wait and you watch another chapter and you wait with anticipation to watch another chapter to me i see the the cinematic universe here as a much more elongated version of comic books it's gotcha. like I go on a Wednesday to the comic book store when I was a kid, and I pick up an issue of the comic, and I want to wait 30 days to find out what happens next. Movies, I go see a movie for two hours, and I want to wait nine months or whatever it is until the next one comes out to see what happens with these stories. So overall, I'm a fan. Gotcha. I know I'm more of a fan than you are. You, You tend to be a little more weary of them. You tend to be a little more beat down by them, maybe a little more formulaic than your taste would like. My main criticism with them has been I always feel like most of them kind of fall apart in the third act, where it just becomes an overdone CGI mix, mishmash of action that just doesn't. Where I generally like the first half or first two-thirds of Marvel movies, I normally lose interest by the final third. Okay. So that's where I am in the grand scheme of things. I have not been a big fan of the Thor movies. Thor, of all the movies, of all the characters, my least favorite. Gotcha. And
2: I, I think we definitely reviewed, I don't know if we did Dark World, but we definitely I think reviewed the first one. Yeah. But um, I remember being a bigger fan of the first one than you were. I think overall. I was a little let down
1: the with the first one and then the second one, I barely could remember what <laughs> happened in it. So, you know, the introduction of a third Thor movie would be a ho-hum kind of situation for me. However, as the production notes came out on this film, Thor Colin Ragnarok. Couple of interesting things happened. One, uh, the film is going to feature the Hulk, which I will say on record, I like what they've done with the Hulk in these movies in general. I okay. think he's an interesting character and I like the personality they've built around him in the movies he's been in. So that was, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Then you hire Kate Blanchett as the villain. Okay, Alan likes Kate Blanchett. I think she's a really <laughs> good actress. So I'm a little more excited now. Sure. Then you go full tilt with this idea of the director uh, Watiti Taika Watiti, mm-hmm. who I'm a big fan of from what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People. Right. That's the only two films of his I've seen. I know you've seen one, or, one other. I've seen
2: two other ones: Boy two. and uh,
1: Eagle versus Shark. That's right. So I did yeah. not see those two, but the two I saw really liked. Okay. So right away I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be interesting. So now I am at full tilt excitement. Chris, I've given you my whole backstory. You know where I am. I'm going into this movie with super eager expectations. If you had a magical portal time machine, much like what they use, the Rainbow Bridge to go between dimensions, and you could go back in time.
2: Is the Bifrost and the Rainbow Bridge the same thing?
1: The Bifrost, I think, is the entrance to the Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow Bridge is that big extended bridge thing. Glad
2: we got that cleared up.
1: (laughs) If you could go in some sort of magical thing and go back in time, and you could go back to the moment I get ready to walk into the theater. And you can tell me one thing to set my expectations about this film, either high or low. Higher than I think they currently are, or just. Yes, you know I'm going in with high expectations. Okay. What would you tell me about this film if you could go back in time and capture me before I walk in the movie theater?
2: Well, I mean kind of an unfair question because I would always tell anyone walking into a theater to lower their expectations. Okay. I, Adriana,
1: I probably set you up on that one. Sure, so sure. No, but right. Would well, you go back and kind of snicker at super excited Alan be like, ugh, he doesn't know what he's in for like in a negative way or would you be like, oh man, Alan is going to really dig this film after all. Well, Where would you go?
2: I, you know, uh, I <laughs> I'm would, asking
1: a lot of convoluted questions right. just to basically ask, did you like the movie or not?
2: Okay. Well, I would think... I would say, Alan, I think you're going to like this. And I would try not to oversell it. I did like the film. Um, knowing all the things you laid out about, it didn't bother or didn't excite me as much as who was involved. You know, the Hulk and all that kind of, I was like, well, whatever. Okay, budget, yeah. But, you know, the cast, I've learned, especially in comic book, these comic book movies, not to
1: be excited about the cast. Because you think they don't really get do, do as no, much with the, the cast to do as they don't do much. much. Mm. And so, you know,
2: mm. no, um, but Taika Waititi did get me maybe more excited than I should have been. Sure. That being said, you know, that led me to believe this is going to be the greatest comic book movie ever. And it's going to be amazing mm-hmm. because it's going to break me out of my lethargy of disliking comic book movies because they're all the same. Now, is this the best Thor movie of the three? I would say yes. But you're saying that's faint praise because I really don't like the other two. Um, <laughs> I would also say this is my favorite comic book movie that I've seen in a while. Hmm. Um, Now, you brought up an interesting point about how with your, you know, I say they're all formulaic and I just get bored of them. You say, you know, I generally like them, but it's the third act that kind of falls down. Um, And I would say, yeah, in the most part. But by that time, I've already tuned out because it's the same first and second act. This movie that we're talking about, the ble- brief plot description mm-hmm. is: Yeah, Thor comes back to his home planet. Stuff's going on there. He Asgard, then, Asgard, yes, <laughs> Asgard. Um, he then gets taken away to a completely different planet, kind of like a prison planet. It's a car. He's stuck there for a little bit, but meanwhile. Asgard is being taken over by Hela played by Kate Blanchett. And his whole mission is to get back there. And of course, stop her from bringing about into the world, otherwise known as Ragnarok. Ragnarok. So all that being said, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, really, really enjoyed the first third of the movie, which was a lot of like, what's going on and setting up who Hela is. And then so. okay. I enjoyed the Sakaar part.
1: It really is a three part movie.
2: It is. Mm-hmm. Then I really enjoyed the Sakaar part after they come back and had the big battle at Asgard. I, you know, it did kind of turn into just a CGI, you know, fight. And it wasn't, I wasn't as vested in that, but I mean, these movies, I understand to a certain extent, that's what they're, you know, the storyline is kind of there. It's, it's written for him. It's based on comic books, based on a storyline. So you kind of know you're going to have that big CGI battle. Was it better than, for example, the battle that happened in the Wonder Woman movie from earlier this year? Mm-hmm. I would say yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it was it thoroughly enjoyable and I thought it was amazing? No, I thought that last part fell down. But the first two thirds, you know, I was all on board with, I... I hope I think this movie is doing well. I hope Taika Waititi has a huge bankroll and just can go do whatever he wants because I really like him as a director. If this is what a movie for hire he does, great. I think he did a great job. I don't really want to see many more comic book movies, but if he's attached, I I would agree and I, I would want to go see it. I think Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi are like a genius pairing because he had already shown humor. <laughs> you should if only viewers could see Alan's expression, which you can't because this is not a video podcast. As I'm sitting over here talking, he just is getting more and more like lethargic and like falling asleep and disinterested in anything positive I have to say about this movie. It's amazing. Um, So
1: do I have that much of a tell
2: to, 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 to sum it up? Hemsworth had little things that were funny in some of the Avengers mm-hmm. movie. He was basically used as kind of comic relief a lot of times in the Avengers movie because he's the big stupid, you know, oh, he's a hunk with blonde hair and he's kind of like whatever. They kind of use him as the butt of jokes. But I think he's really funny. He was the, one of the few things I could say I kind of liked about the Ghostbusters reboot was Chris Hemsworth in there. He was a, kind of a saving grace for that movie, kept me smiling. And I felt like his comedic talents – and I like him anyway. Just for some reason, I think he's a cool guy. Don't know why. Hmm. Um, but him and Taika Waititi were just—I uh, thought were—I thought were awesome. So, Alan, yeah, this is me saying movie good, movie mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. I guess I should have told you, Alan. You know, you're going to hate this movie.
1: Don't go see it. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> wish you would have. I, yeah. I, I I, just, it just did not work for me. And I've got not my all. reasons why. No, I won't say it all. There were some redeeming parts of it. But overall, I, I walked out let down. Wow. And I, but let me let me hit the pros first. Okay. I have very specific pros on this, like okay. pro, positive things. I admire the fact that the film was very different. Okay right off the bat even like within the first scene oh yeah it's like oh yeah we're in for You're a talking whole talking about the
2: dialogue that thor has with the,
1: the one the of the fire the demon bad guy, guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. right away it's like okay yep yeah, this, this is, is going to be different yep. this is this is cool and i really like the hulk in this movie don't like david bruce banner so we'll get to that in a minute but that's that's the mark Ruffalo version of him i like hulk okay I, i'll get to my reasons wow, for it in a minute
2: that's a difference right there i'll get to uh, okay. d- my,
1: my thoughts on that huh. i thought kate blanchett I think you should cast Kate Blanchett as a villain in every single movie going forward, because mm-hmm. I loved her as a villain. She did good. not have a lot to do. No. But the not only her acting, but the way they visually portrayed her on the film was perfect. It was great. I want her to be a villain, like, constantly. She was really good. And Jeff Goldblum, God bless Jeff Goldblum. He is a national treasure. <laughs> uh, he is great he is at his most gold bloomish in this film you know just they it's almost like they just said okay here's basically who you are just just go do do your thing go do your jeff goldblum little thing and he did and it was awesome that being said okay you made a comment about how thor was always kind of the 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 dumb one in the avengers and i i i take a little offense to that okay Thor is spoiled. Okay, Thor in history, in this, in the film history, we won't get into the comics because I realize the movies are their own things. Thor has has been kind of the spoiled kid of the of of the the film series because if you think in the first Thor movie, he was cocky, he was arrogant, and that's part of the reason he had gets these kicked out. Yeah, gets kicked horror, out. Right, but the whole point of the Thor movie is he redeems himself. He becomes heroic, and later on in all the other films, he's a pretty heroic guy. Oh. I mean. He's, you know, they play him for jokes because, I mean, come on, he's a Norse god coming right. to earth. It's not, it's not that he himself is an idiot. It's just no, no, this no, situation no. he's in. It's right. just ripe for making fun of. Right. But in this movie, Thor's an idiot. And it's like, why oh. did you make Thor an idiot? Well, I don't get it. I mean, there were just so many moments where they just, I like when the humor, like, for example, you mentioned the scene at the very beginning, and then i spoiler, this is like the first two minutes of the film. Right. It's a great scene. Thor is basically hanging in chains, like tied up, and having a confrontation with this fire demon that's got him imprisoned. And they're talking, and Thor's st- just like you would if you were dangling from a chain—you just start spinning slowly. And sure enough, it's hilarious because it's like you know Thor and them are having this big serious talk, and all of a sudden his body's turning where he can't see the the bad guy anymore. He's like, "Hold on just a second. And he's waiting to kind of spin back around Mm -hmm. to finish the conversation. Right. That's not Thor being an idiot. That's just taking a situation. That's so cliche and making it and and, and making it funny. Gotcha. But then there were so many other times. It's just Thor was just an idiot. And it's like, they did it for laughs. They wanted to play off. uh, He's either going to say something stupid or do something stupid. And I just, I'm like, who are these characters after a while? I don't get it. Hmm. Then you've got Hulk who I think was great as the Hulk in the film. And then when he does have a chance to turn back into Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner and, and Thor are basically like like a, a, a comedy duo bantering with, where these characters really have never had any relationship before, but yet they've got this comic timing. Bruce Banner's kind of a bumbling, spastic guy, and it's like, "I don't understand who these characters are. Wow. If you're going to build a cinematic universe and have interconnected movies, you have to have some semblance of carry-through of the characters. Mm-hmm. Now, That's I like the fact that this was a funny movie. I'm all for funny movies. I have no problem with that. I just think in those moments they tried they took every scene that was possible and said, How can we make this scene funny? When not every scene needed to be funny. And it actually I think I think it undercut some true moments that should have been fairly dramatic. I mean, I'm not gonna spoil the end of the film, but it ends on a pretty kind of a horrific concept when you think about everybody is involved in what went on and what just happened and but yet again it's it just got so undercut by this need to be funny in every moment that it just i mean there was even a dramatic scene with a member of their family early in the first third of the movie that i think right away got undercut with just glib humor so i i am not saying these films should not be funny i think guardians of the galaxy the first one was hysterically funny, but it also knew when to counter it with drama and when to counter it with real human moments. This film for me just seemed to forget those human moments and just say, let's go for a weird spectacle and funny. And I admire it for going with weird. I admire it for the spectacle. I think it was a gorgeous looking movie to look at, but it's just, uh, there were just moments where about two thirds of the way through the film. I'm like, okay, this could be a really great moment, but they're going to throw in some little joke or Thor's going to do something stupid And act like an idiot. And it's just, I didn't quite know who these characters were. Does that make sense? I don't have to have you agree with me. It makes sense.
2: Um, I hear what you're saying. Um, But
1: I'm
2: completely wrong. I get it. No, no. I mean,
1: it works for for me and it didn't work for you. I think maybe I I had more connection to these characters. So I was a little upset that I I felt like they were, they were mishandled and you not having as much of a deep connection with them. You were probably like, it was great for you to see something new with like using this character. Right.
2: Yeah. I totally don't have the attachment to the characters yeah. that you do. Um, and I, I was going in hoping it would be different hoping it would be funny. And that's all I wanted. Was So like you a got comp- different and funny. And I totally got it. That's and cool. I think, um, I've heard people compare this, which I can totally see the comparison, except it's a much better film. Um, flash Gordon,
1: right. The 1980s, uh, with the queen soundtrack the queen soundtrack.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That took a comic book style movie, you know, flashcore and made it like, had the garish colors and had, mm-hmm. and it was just laughable and not realistic and was unintentionally funny. Right. This, I think I imagine that was kind of Taika Waititi's pitch to do something. He's like, I want to do this Thor. I want to do a Thor movie, but I want to do it like Flash Gordon, but have it be intentionally funny. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the Marvel people said, okay,
1: (laughs) (laughs) well, I think they said, okay, because if you look at the grand scheme of things, I think the Thor movies have not done were the, some of the lower performing films. And I think the idea is like, Oh great. Here's another Thor movie. And this is a way of saying, Oh, it's a Thor movie. And look what they're doing with it this time. So I think they were on board with trying to do something different. Yeah. I'm totally glad they did. Believe me. I, I, Honestly, if they had figured out how to keep the drama that needed to be there in certain scenes, and not feel the need, in my opinion, to just force feed comedy into scenes that didn't always need it, and kept the two main characters more consistent with what we've seen them, I would have loved this film. But that well, really just kind of broke it apart. And for I,
2: I, yeah, it didn't bother it didn't bother me just because I expected it to be nothing but like nonstop, you know. Um, <laughs> and interesting that you say the conclusion of the film and the third act, there is some devastation that takes Mm -hmm. place and, um, it completely didn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was undercut didn't bother me at all. And I think just because in a way for me seeing it on the level of the Avengers movie where it was an earth city, of the second of the age of Ultron where they like decimated that whole city and they mm-hmm. got in trouble for or, like people were, well, the same thing happened in New York when the mm-hmm. first Avengers movie and people were yep. like, how can you have all this destruction and you don't let it take a toll. And so they go to like Asgard, which doesn't exist. Sorry to ruin some people's perception. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have that happen. But, and the way it's, kind of undercut by some comedic time is kind of like, Oh no, it's really like, I, I don't know. It just, it worked for me and it was kind of, even if it was unintentional meta commentary that it was making, Yeah, it worked for me. It just, like you say, I didn't have the connection to this source material and maybe that's why I appreciated it more. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, I, I'll give you, I think Chris Hemsworth is good with comic timing. I just think, you know, I, I mean, I can just rattle off. I know there's one scene where, Thor's trying to look cool in front of a, a v- female Valkyrie who's coming in to check on him. And it's this bumbling, fumbling, idiot little thing that goes on with him. And it's like, you know, that's just one of the examples. It's Like, okay, I, I just, that's not his character. <laughs> Make fun of him because he talks like, uh, you know, he's from the Middle Ages and he has long flowing hair and he carries a hammer. Okay, that, yes, you choke, joke about those things. And they did. But, but he himself is not an idiot. He himself is not a bumbling fool, you know, but yet I felt like that was just how they were playing him so many times. And again, it was all in the idea of let's make this scene funny when it didn't always have to be funny. And that's, that's my little soapbox on it. <laughs> I'll say the only other thing that bugged me about the film that I, 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 I get it. I understand why they blended these two storylines, but it really was two different movies. It was the first and third I would have liked to have seen more with the Kate Blanchett villain. I think there's more they could have done with her.
2: They could have made this two Thor movies as opposed yes, to
1: one. Because yeah. honestly, yeah. you learn something about the Kate Blanchett Hela character pretty early on, which is pretty interesting. And yeah. they could have done more with it. Yeah. And it's something that just gets forgotten by the end of the film. And I'm like, oh, it was, felt like it was just a wasted opportunity. You had a great actress with a great character mm-hmm. with a great, interesting reveal that you just didn't know what to do with. And then you got the whole thing on Sakaar, the whole battle planet and all that, which I also felt like they could have done more with. I felt like, you know, it's like he gets there, he gets put into one gladiator battle and then that changes something and then they leave. And it's like I would have liked more time there, too. So I really do feel like I would have liked for this to have been two separate movies. But, um, oh, well, I mean, they put, it into, they put it into one. It was a little jarring you know, you're on Sakar, you're on this planet, and it's just really cool visuals. And it's interesting stuff going on. Then it cuts back to Asgard, and at moments or times, it was a little disjointed. It was a little kind of sporadically flipping between the two, hmm. and it's almost like they uh, they wanted to make two completely different storylines, but they had to somehow fix fix a way to bridge them together. Hmm. It was a clunkier than I think it needed to be from that standpoint. So overall, I I, I was disappointed. I I, I don't think. It is not in the top, anywhere near the top portion of these Marvel movies for me. I did enjoy it better than the other two four films, but like you said, that's faint praise. I didn't really get a lot of enjoyment from the first two. This one at least was different. I will absolutely say I will give it praise for being a very different film and willing to take some interesting risk and try some different things. So... I give it a faint recommendation. (laughs) I say that if you are a Marvel film purist and you really like what they've been doing with the films, you may have some issues with this film. If you're not like Mr. Chris across the table from me and you are looking for a very light, fun, uh, you know, funny, you know, kind of a weird, quirky superhero film. Then, yeah, this is this is for you. This is gotcha. But, um. I think it's. I think the. I think whatever kind of person you are when you go into the movie is going to determine sure how you feel about this film. Sure, like what what you want out of this latest Marvel film. Fair enough. Definitely. So I'm glad you liked it.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm
1: you know, I'm. I'm happy. I'm always I, happy when Chris enjoys a likes superhero a comic movie. Book movie. I do. Yeah. you yeah. liked uh, Wonder Woman in general, I except mean, for the final third. You liked the Spider-Man Homecoming movie. I did um, like that. Yeah. yeah. So. Overall, I guess if this is our three movie, superhero movies we've had the last few months, they've been pretty good.
2: We're not doing news on this show because we have these three reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, this is kind of news. I did see a trailer for Justice League in front of Thor. Mm-hmm. And it was the first decent trailer I've seen for the movie. Hmm. I don't think the movie is going to be good. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. I saw a glimmer of... Of maybe it won't be 3% on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: You just, may have seen a scene that Joss Whedon was brought in to like help fix uh, up or do. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I have the lowest of low expectations for well, the film.
2: and if I saw you walking into the theater without having to travel back in time, because this movie hadn't come out yet, I would say, you know, yeah,
1: definitely lower it. So if I do end up going to see it at the theater, which I probably will, um, it does not have to do much. To impress me at this point?
2: No, unfortunately, Marvel. Well, I mean, they did have the high of Wonder Woman. Um, so they, True, they,
1: I will yeah. compare it to Wonder Woman a little bit, but right now, everything I've seen previews, the trailer, mean, everything, mm-hmm. and I have not been intentionally watching them any more than I have to. But they just show up in the movie theater. Sure, it's like, oh yeah, this this looks like everything. All the parts of Batman versus Superman I hated. And all the parts of Man of Steel I hated.
2: And Suicide Squad. and
1: it took, It's like the worst <laughs> parts of those films. It's a mixed crammed of the into, worst. Even like the worst part of Wonder Woman, that final fight. is like Man. all of that just seems to be crammed into two hours of Justice League. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to come out of there somewhat surprised and, and happy, but I'm not counting on it. Okay, Chris, how about let's take off our comic book nerd hats okay. for the rest of the episode. Is that okay with you? Sure. And let's flip into our next review which, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is the latest film by writer-director Mike White, starring Ben Stiller, and it's called Brad's Status.
0: Going off to find your college. It's not this special. At night, my mind drifted back to college. So many friends have become successful. I work for a nonprofit. and have nothing to show for it.
2: Somebody asked about you, you know, whatever happened to you. Where's Brad?
0: My son is a very talented musician. Also composes his own music, so. Wonderful. I'm pretty sure Harvard is uh, going to be in the running. Oh, you think Harvard's got a chance? <laughs> Suddenly my thoughts darkened. Troy so could easily end up struggling like me.
2: Brad Satis, a comedy drama by director Mike White, starring Ben Stiller, Jemaine Clement, Michael Sheen, Jenna Fisher, Luke Wilson, a bunch of big names. The movie came out, though, Alan, September 15th. Here we are, the middle of November. We're probably not the only people that kind of hadn't heard a lot about this movie.
1: No, it really did fly under the radar.
2: I would like to, as a guess from you, it's listed of course as the comedy drama. Do you think maybe it's because the reason we haven't heard a lot about this film is it's not successful in straddling the line between comedy and drama.
1: Are you asking me that as your own pointed criticism or are you honestly asking me that like my, just to set me up with a question? Yes. Mm,
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say yes?
1: <laughs> right. Um, Oh, let me, let me put it this way. Sure. Um, it, I think it's very misleading when the description of the film lists it as a comedy, comma, drama. Um, it is definitely a, to me, drama, sure. in all caps, comma, lowercase, comedy. It manages the balance okay. It definitely tips more in the drama side. I think anybody going in this film expecting a comedy is going to be disappointed. But right. it's not hilariously funny. Actually, most of the comedy comes from more of people recognizing traits in that they probably see in themselves or loved ones. That's where more of the comedy comes in. Something he says, something a character says, or a way they react to something. You're like, Oh yeah, I've been there. Or I know somebody just like that. So we follow Brad, he, a father who's taking his son to tour colleges. Um, and it's a film that utilizes a lot of inner monologue. It's a, a film, lot of a lot monologue. of inner monologue. Um, and it's a very simple film though. I mean, it really just takes place probably over three days by the That's guess. Right. Um, it's really Ben Stiller as Brad and his son are the main two characters we follow. They interact with a lot of other characters, a lot of other big name actors actually dropping in for basically larger cameos in this film. I will say, uh, I didn't care. I, it didn't matter to me whether it straddled comedy or drama. I, I, I pretty early on, like in the first few minutes I realized, okay, yeah, this is, this is going to be a drama. It's, it's not going to be a knee slapping comedy at any point in this (laughs) thing. And, you know, unfortunately Ben Stiller does have the kind of, you know, name and reputation where you hear him attached to a film and you immediately think it's probably going to be funny. Right. we have to remind ourselves. He's, he's done a lot more drama than I think people give him credit for. Actually, probably of all the films he does every year, I think half of them are more dramatic films. They may have some comedic elements to them, but he's still playing a, a fairly dramatic role. Um, I, I really liked this film. I, I did. I think it was a really good film. It wasn't perfect. I, I think there were some moments that they, they missed the mark a little bit. And I, I, uh, and I felt like they, you know, it's almost like if you have your film and in, in, uh, you could shift gears at any time. Mm-hmm. This film kind of stuck in one gear. Hmm. Pretty much the entire film. And I think it could have shifted a little bit at times just to give it a little more variability and kind of uh, um, play with the play with the the, the storyline, the emotions a bit, but it kind of just stayed in one constant gear, the whole film. Well, I was mostly okay with that, but I do feel like there's some moments where it's like, I, I would have liked to have seen something kind of spring to life a little bit here. Hmm. And then even if they have to pull it back a little bit, a little bit later, but hmm. that's my, I, I really, I was writing down my criticism. That's really my only criticism. I felt like it was just maybe a little too one, one, one note, one gear for the whole film. But I will say I like. I thought the performances were great. Ben Stiller, I think Ben Stiller's a good actor and he can play a really good part when he's given a good part to play. This is a perfect Ben Stiller part. Oh, yeah. It's um, like it was written for him. It which was. I don't know if it was. And but. then Austin awesome Abrams as a son, I thought was, he was really great. Too. He was a really good 17 year old teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, very authentic, very natural, very not cliche. That's what I loved about this film. It wasn't cliche. There was nothing in this film was Pat or, or patronizing or pandering. It was, there were so many moments they could have chosen to go patronizing and go sentimental or sappy or something like that. And every time you thought they could, they'd veer it back in another direction and it got real again. And I, I really admired it for that. So I'm, I'm on board with the film. I, uh, if anything, I want to know how Hollywood got a copy of my life story transcript <laughs> and turn it into a film.
2: I, you know, it's funny. You were talking about the criticism. If you were to think of one about the gear shifting and mm-hmm. you would avoid it to maybe kind of
1: a little bit, I'm not saying go from first to fifth. I'm saying it could have just shifted a little bit from time to time. I just felt like it was too constant. But. I
2: think I I'm hard pressed. Granted, you and I just came from this screen. We did like Brad's 30 minutes status. ago. Yes. Um, it is ho- i'm hard pressed to come up with something that i didn't like about this film um, and it's strange because in a way it's like we've referred to films in the past, we call it like a one timer like we reviewed a more, mm-hmm. and that was a film you know very different yeah. you know, but it's depressing. I found this movie really depressing mm-hmm. um, but I liked it a lot, and the humor was good, but it was so kind of um it was sad because you found humor in this guy and how self-centered he was and, um, and how he was basically, he would, he was chronically unhappy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's, you hate to find humor in that, but it was just so, I don't know. But, and the fact that you're saying like the gear staying the same through the whole movie, I could see how that could be frustrating. But for me, that was very accurate because this guy was stuck in one gear. No, I, I, and it, I agree. And it, and it made, to me, you know, I've talked before on the show, like how I tend to gravitate, I guess, towards less Hollywood type movies. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I think intentionally so, that's what made it seem so real. You say you could relate to it because you felt like it was sometimes it reflected moments of your life the fact that it didn't shift into another gear, it didn't mm-hmm. go lower. It didn't go higher. It just kept in that gear. And I think that made it, um, authentic. And you talk about, you know, his perspective and that used his voiceover and like his inner monologue. And I, I don't think I've ever seen inner, inner monologue or you know voiceover used so effectively. And actually made me appreciate it even though i thought it was highly annoying
1: because i thought the character was annoying Well, i was going to say it's designed to be annoying yeah i mean you're supposed to be a anno- every time his voiceover came on the on the screen i'm like okay here he goes again yep. shut up <laughs> but i mean that's what we want that's, that's what that's the that's, director is going for that's what he's yeah. going for yeah i uh I like the use of the of the voiceover because the voiceover wasn't there to tell us what's happening in the story. Oh no. The voiceover was there to really just let us know the the type of thoughts this character's having.
2: And it and it did provide some cause sometimes in those inner monologues you would get laughs at, but it was so oh, sure. sad what you were laughing at. Yeah. There's one instance where he's you know, you think it's this serious thing and then it's him envisioning kind of this fantasy on a beach with girl. And I I was like, Oh, right. You know, and mm. it made me laugh, but it was sad.
1: us laugh because it's uncomfortable. And it's, yeah. it's, yes. Yeah, it's, I, um, I, I think this was probably the one of the most realistic films I've seen of middle age anxiety. Mm. I mean, it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't attest that I share every experience that this character's had, but there are plenty of times where I heard him say something. I'm like, yep, I've been there. <laughs> I have thought that same thing. And you know what was interesting is what I liked about this too is they weren't afraid to let fleeting thoughts enter his head that we share. Hmm. But then it's just like in, in real life. They were fleeting thoughts. You know, I, I made a comment during our discussion afterwards about there is a scene in the film where – in a typical more traditional storyline, this older character, I think he says he's forty seven he's married, he's got this son, and he's with the son traveling, and they meet up with two college students, females, both very attractive females and There's a moment where he's talking to himself and he's basically saying, you know wondering what his life would be like if he was with these young girls mm-hmm. and In a traditional storyline, that's basically your sign that this character is going to do go and actually try to be with this girl. And And he does
2: meet up with her. He
1: does meet up with her. And right away, like red flags are flaring. Sure. But it was the most realistic thing in that he went to the bar and he sees her on the other side of the room and he's thinking to himself, he's there because he wanted to like, see if maybe they all connect, but he doesn't make any efforts to go over and talk to him. And actually he's getting ready to leave. And then she's the one that actually sees him. So it's very human. It's like, I want to go to that bar because I was invited to go to that bar by some young, attractive college women. But I'm there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I'm not going to do anything. Right. You know, I'm just, I just want to know I'm here. I just want to know I made it inside the door. So again, it was just every moment where they could have gone very pand- very traditional storyline, very, uh, very, uh, uh, kind of feeding the audience, what the audience, what you think the audience is going to expect. They're like, Nope, this is, this is a real story. We're going to take you down. What a real human being would have happened in that situation. Um, And the fact that his thoughts at times were were kind of sometimes angry, hostile thoughts or very, very, very selfish thoughts. But he also was human, too. And he, he didn't let every single one of those negative thoughts stay with him forever. So especially with regards to his wife. I thought the relationship with his wife was really interesting. Yeah. Played by Jenna Fisher. She's not in the film very much. No, she's not. She's there at the beginning. And occasionally they have a phone conversation. But what was fascinating to me is that he found so many opportunities to in a way blame his wife for some of his for some of his issues. Hmm. But he was also very realistic. And I think eventually came around where within a few minutes you hear him also saying, no, she didn't do that. Or but this made me remind me of my wife. And so even with his thoughts start going down a path that you don't think are very productive for him, his wife's there visually in some situations on the screen. I liked the role that the wife played, even though the wife was not physically there for most of the film. Sure. And, um, again, I thought it was just very realistic and human and authentic. And, uh, I thought it was a really good movie. Really good.
2: Yeah. I can see because it's not a typical, well, you mentioned it. I guess it is more of a typical Ben Stiller role these days. Yeah. But I think still, like you're saying, you know, even in my mind, I still think of him as a comedic actor, So I think I could see why, even though, like you're saying, he's not, but I could see why this film wasn't on the tip of everybody's tongue and stuff, because people, it's just not what they still want or expect from Ben Stiller. Very solid movie, very solid performance. Yeah. But um, I can see why it may be flown on people's radar. But from what you're saying, and I'm saying, it sounds like we both strongly recommend it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, too, is, I mean, you watch this film, and it's, it's Ben Stiller, and there's a few moments where... He starts to tiptoe into the Ben Stiller, a funny Hollywood uh, star status. Sure. And you think, okay, this is going to be the scene where they're going to just kind of let him be Ben Stiller. And they never do. It tiptoes up to the line in some places, but it always continues down the real path, which, again, was admirable. They... Sure. There's no way they could have been making this film saying this, mill- this film is going to make so much money and do great <laughs> box office. They knew that this is going to be a film that is going to be very small and it's going to be not a scene by many people. But um, it seems like a, I- I'm curious exactly how much of Mike White's own you know,
2: situation
1: is affecting this story. That's because a
2: very interesting thing that you say that because I was thinking the same thing because I felt like, because Ben Stiller did not write it, <laughs> you yeah. know, I felt like because Mike white wrote it and he's in this film, but I think, and he's as a Hollywood director too. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, I couldn't help but think some of the internal struggle that, that uh, Ben Stiller's characters having Brad, if Mike white having been a, you know, he has directed some sure. stuff, but he's mainly a Hollywood writer. So people maybe. Haven't heard of him as much, and they think, and he's around people that are more successful. I I I could not help but wonder too. Yeah, how much of Mike White we were
1: seeing? Oh, i I guarantee it was a lot of it. You I mean, so Mike so? White seems like he has some probably friends and cohorts that you know, he's done several films with Jack Black in the role. He's you know, I, I think uh, you know, there's Richard Linklater. I think there's probably some you know friendship or partnership possibly there. These are all bigger name people I think he's surrounded by. And he's normally the one that you don't really notice as much and probably doesn't have the stature. He's directed two films, two theatrical films, and he's the writer in the background. Yeah, I could totally see him mm. being around bigger Hollywood stars and having a little bit of this complex of evaluating himself from comparing himself to this Hollywood lifestyle that he's probably surrounded by. Right. I Yeah. Again, we don't know, but no. this film is way too authentic to not be based off of something real that somebody like the writer was experiencing.
2: I I guess I think I have settled on if I had to have a complaint, I okay. would say that um, I wanted more Jermaine Clement. I'm a big yeah. Fly of the Concords fan. Yeah. Um, and he was good, but he was so, like Michael Sheen, his part there was enough to chew on with Michael oh, yeah. Sheen. And he's great. You know, I love Michael Sheen and he, he was great. And even, I have to say Luke Wilson
1: only in one scene. Well, you had was,
2: typical Luke yeah. Wilson, but then he has a scene that I was like, whoa, what's happening yeah, here? That's,
1: that and was a was pretty like, good scene. You
2: go Luke Wilson. That was like, it was very dramatic, which I'm not used to seeing Luke Wilson do at all. Um, so yeah, I, but so everybody else, I feel like had some, stuff well, Jermaine Clement. I mean, if
1: you had to say, you know, comedy, he was the, funniest character in the film. I mean, (laughs) he really didn't have a serious part at all. Um, So yeah, he was the one definitely played up for more laughs. We could have used a little more of him. I, I, I I liked it. I really liked it. It was a, you know, it reminds me again and again, Ben Stiller's a really good actor when he's given the right part as we, you can talk about even again in our next review. So
2: I will say too, um, some of the best dramatic things that I are, I think the scene of him watching a music performance, mm-hmm. I think was some of the best acting I've seen oh, Ben Stiller do. But granted, the way that scene is shot and everything probably had a lot to do with editing, too. Like, But you know, he ends up being very emotionally moved by this music piece that's going on. And I felt like, again, probably editing, but it starts happening, and I feel like you could just see a slow boil of emotion. Granted, mm-hmm. I know that's probably editing, too, but I just... I don't know. I feel like that's some of the best acting I've seen Ben Stiller. Do. No,
1: I, I, I agree. I, yes, completely agree. I, I have to think back. Is there a, been a better Ben Stiller performance in a really long time? I love his performance in the Royal Tenenbaums. That's still probably one of my all time favorites of his. Sure. But this one, obviously that was a lot more caricature-ish that had a lot more fantastical elements to it in a way from a storytelling standpoint. This one though, obviously was the most real performance I've seen him give of a real person And I bought it the whole time. So I I totally believed it.
2: I think um, we should mention something that's interesting with this movie. I mentioned that scene with the music performance that he goes to. And I thought what was interesting about that is throughout the movie, there's this use of like strings and it's very Mm -hmm. like tension. Usually when he's giving a voiceover, they start playing these, this music with these like music string instruments. it's like, you know, very almost like psycho-esque in the shower Mm -hmm. type thing. (laughs) And it puts you on nerve, and it's very uneasy. And it's like th- in the movie, you feel like the music is doing nothing but setting you on edge. And then he f- goes to this musical performance after having a very those-
1: after having a very dramatic dinner yes. th- that really affected him. Yeah. Yes,
2: and he goes to this musical performance that's actually using some of the instruments that he's been hearing. Yeah. And that piece of music could not have been more perfect oh, for the movie, so, for him to hear. So
1: soothing. He is so soothing. And just <laughs> and, you so him, and you see joyous and you see him
2: crying and you're like, yeah, I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just, I thought that was really interestingly done, like a very good mm-hmm. use of music to be jarring through the movie and then yeah. find a release through the music. I completely so,
1: agree. No, I, I think we're on the same page with this. This is a really good film. It's a shame more people aren't going to find it and see it. Uh, You know, it does start to kind of blend in with these more independent, smaller Ben Stiller, slight comedy films, you know, unfortunately. But this one, this one's the real deal. It's a very good movie. And I I wish more people would check it out. Absolutely. And I am, you know, we'll stay very interested to see what Mike White continues to do. Uh, He's written a lot of films. You know, School of Rock is still one of my favorites that uh, I know he did with Richard Linklater, but he wrote and starred in as well. Um, but, I'll be uh, interested to
2: see, hopefully, I am hoping, even though, yeah, this didn't get a lot of exposure, but the fact that he had so many big stars in it, and I think he did a good job directing, I, I hope that he gets another directing project soon.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. I think Year of the Dog was his only other major motion picture. I think he did a TV movie and some TV episodes, but um, no, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm excited to see what he does next. So that's Brad's status. Now, let's continue the Ben Stiller discussion thon here by moving into our third review and final review of the episode, which is Netflix Originals The Meyerowitz Stories. New
2: and selected. Are you
0: Harold Meyerowitz's son, Matthew? Yes. Mrs. Uh, Danny, also Harold Meyerowitz's son. I didn't realize he had two sons, and a daughter. Dad, will be okay
1: here? It'll be nice to spend time with Dad. You know, I didn't get a lot of time with him growing up. Son of a bitch! had well,
0: everything's
1: game. Let it be. Like Our rain is plastered. In Italy, they uh, take
2: all of the little birds and deep fry them and just... <laughs> it's very sad. There are no little birds left in Italy anymore. They've eaten them all.
1: The Meyerowitz stories, new and selected. Uh, is the latest film by writer and director Noah Baumbach? He is uh, of the Squid and the Whale, uh, Margo at the Wedding. Um, let's see, he Francis Ha, uh, Mistress America, isn't it? Yes. Um, have we reviewed any of those films?
2: Um, I don't believe so, but I have recommended. We did review
1: While We're Young. Oh, While We're Young! I forgot about that one. Yes, that was the only one that's been out. While we've been doing the show and you and I both saw and reviewed because we brought it to one of our but I film think, screenings. I
2: think I've recommended both Francis Haw and Mr. America. I
1: believe you have. So. And I know we have talked about The Squid and the Whale oh, yeah. to some degree, even if we didn't review it when it first came out. But that, that at my moment right now, that's what I say is my favorite Noah Baumbach film before this one that we're going to talk about for sure. But with the Meyerowitz stories, this is a straight to Netflix, Netflix original, which is kind of an interesting story in itself. You know, it is showing at festivals and big cities to get, you know, uh, any any kind of award recognition needed. But it premiered on Netflix after Netflix bought the rights to it. And that's where we saw it as well. Right. Uh, we have Ben Stiller. Once again, uh, we have Adam Sandler playing Danny Meyerowitz. And we have Dustin Hoffman as Harold Meyerowitz, the father of the family. We also have a Grace Van Patten as the Danny's daughter, uh, the Adam Sandler character. We've got Elizabeth Marvel as Jean Meyerowitz, so one of the, the the only sister, and then we also have Emma Thompson playing Maureen, who is I guess their stepmother. I guess uh, married to Harold at the moment. It's a very interesting cast, you know. Uh, Noah Baumbach has had some uh, partnership with Wes Anderson, and I think there's always sometimes there's little little comparisons made between the two because they both have a similar mentality towards film and the sometimes the quirkiness of film, the quirkiness of characters. Mm-hmm. But in this film, uh, you know, we're following this family. Um, uh, they get together. They're, they're kind of coming together in New York. It's going to be an event celebrating the work of their father, Harold at a local, mu- at a local art museum that kind of brings them all together. And from there that we have just uh, following each of those individual stories all centered really around the relationship they have with their father, Harold. So, Chris, my question to you, Uh, it's an easy one to make because we just talked about another Ben Stiller film just (laughs) two minutes ago. But this also being another Ben Stiller performance, let me just ask you, compare the Ben Stiller starring Meyerowitz stories to the Ben Stiller starring Brad Status. Okay. Um, Let me know what worked, what didn't work with this film compared to a somewhat similar Ben Stiller dramatic performance we talked about just a few minutes ago.
2: Hmm. I, you know, me, it's a hard question. Basically Ben Stiller's performance in Meyerwitz as opposed to Ben Stiller and Brad. Yeah. I, I feel like they're both good performances. I feel okay. like his, but I would, I'm going to give his performance in Meyerwitz the worst label ever, which is fine. Um, I, but, it was why a- I, but why am I saying that? Because I feel like, to reference Mister Bonebox film, The Squid and the Whale, <laughs> I feel like this was minor Bonebox.
1: Minor Bonebox, uh, because hmm. he makes so. a reference
2: in, like, oh, yeah. that's Minor Dickens, and that's right. the whole thing. You can yes. quote that movie up and down. That's the problem with this movie for me hmm. is that it's very minor. Um, had it been done by any other director, I probably wouldn't have been interested in it at all. Granted, the names having Adam Sandler do something with Dustin Hoffman, you are like, really okay, and Ben Stiller, oh, okay. And then when I heard no, but like it, it seemed like it was going to be really interesting. And actually, if anything, I think Ben Stiller's performance is undercut by the fact that Adam Sandler is actually really good. Adam Sandler, so very. That's good. all you can pay attention to. For me, is Adam Sandler because I'm just like he is incredible. He's doing like a punch drunk love type performance, and I don't think it's really going to get noticed because overall to me, this movie is very forgettable. It's very lackluster. I don't understand the bomb qualities that are in there to begin with. He does some cutting up of chapters. And if I think I don't understand why he did that, I think maybe just to add quirk that didn't need to be there. That's true. The um, chapters were kind of, uh, they just didn't really make there's sense. There's no point to him. No. And you know, is he, do, does he get a pass for this? Mr. Noah? Well, yeah, because he'd been on such an amazing run He'd done Francis Ha. He'd done While We're Young. He'd done Mistress America. Those three right there, like, I really responded to all of those. Really, really liked all of those. So for this movie, to me, just the writing wasn't there. Hmm. Um, The actors, Adam Sandler was given enough to do. Um, Emma Thompson— was like in another it was like she was a leftover from the character she played in the harry potter movies like you know acting goofy saying odd yeah. things acting kind of spacey that's her character in the harry potter movies where she plays like an absent-minded professor like yeah, yeah. i just mm-hmm. you know it, it, this movie just overall am i saying it's terrible horrible no but in this you know it, it's minor bomb luck.
1: maybe so <laughs> Okay. But I, I responded more to this film than you did. It sounds like, okay. Um, I liked it. I thought the writing was stronger than maybe you, you, you felt and, and gave it credit for At The end of the day, does it amount to as much as maybe some of the other films? No, not necessarily. I saw this as an enjoyable time, sometimes enjoyable, sometimes a little painful spending with these family members. Um, I will say Ben Stiller's probably the most, I don't say underused, but he is the most Ben Stillerish character here. I mean, he is not playing a huge variation of what we see in other parts he's played. Okay I, I see. yeah and it's, it, there wasn't a lot of depth to beyond what we've seen him do in other films. Now, Brad's status is a much better, much stronger performance, much more nuanced performance. This was a let's have Ben Stiller be a wise ass and be a little you know sarcastic and so on. He's fine. Like you said, fine, but he's fine. But Adam Sandler was to me, I liked his role in punch drunk love, but Mm -hmm. I felt like the punch drunk love character was a very written out character that PT Anderson wanted and kind of put Adam Sandler in. Let Adam Sandler kind of be a weird Adam Sandler type character to play that part Mm -hmm. with this. It's the first time I think I've ever seen Adam Sandler where I felt like he was a real human being. You know? I mean, I always felt like Adam Sandler's playing Adam Sandler in other films. This one, I honestly forgot it was Adam Sandler most of the time. His relationship
2: with his daughter is really strong.
1: I will say, I will give it this. The first half of the film, much, much stronger than the second half of the film. The first half of the film, I really was digging this film thinking this is going to be awesome. Second half, it let me down and it didn't end in a way that I, I think it was too rushed at the end. They tried to hurry the story along way too much when they were taking such great pace in the first half. Mm-hmm. I will say right now, though, um, there are moments in both of the last two films that it got dusty in the theater. Um, not in Thor, okay. I'm talking about in Brad's <laughs> Brad status. <laughs> I did not cry during Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Brad's status, there are a couple scenes that really got me. In this film, It was him playing the piano with his daughter, a song that they, you could tell they have written together when they were, when she was a little kid Mm -hmm. and they've been playing together for years. And that scene just got me because it's just, it was so natural. It was so real. I honestly felt like this was a real father, son, father, daughter relationship that just have a deeper bond than maybe typical father, daughter relationships do.
2: All right. So after me just doing nothing but dumping on mm-hmm. <laughs> Meyerowitz stories, um doing selected. I will say kind of aha moments that I had in this film. Adam Sandler using music, and it was funny, but not in the in- irritating Lunch Lady Land no. or Hanukkah song oh, way, no. but using it, him doing the piano song, and they're funny with his... Yeah extremely well done and amazing. And I have mm-hmm. to give credit to both the director and writing it. And then Adam Sandler performing it. Yes. Those were really good moments. i have to say something else too. And this is sheer writing. And I think anyone who's been in this situation can appreciate it. Okay. There is a situation with somebody getting hospitalized and a nurse and how oh, yeah. that nurse comes and she, is there for a little bit, but then isn't because she gets put somewhere else and like her shift changed and she's <laughs> yeah. on another floor. Having had a father who was in the hospital with like heart surgery and stuff like that, but just hearing people talk about today's healthcare and stuff like that. But like that was so – and then the moment where they see this nurse on the other floor and they're like, hey, how are you? Like that whole no. – that was so – genius it's, and yeah. so well done. I like, agree. I, now, I love really, that. I love so, that a lot. Yeah. Those were some moments that I, I did really appreciate. From
1: well, film. there were, there are a lot of moments I, I, I appreciated. Um, again, the second half of the film I felt like was not as strong. Um, I felt like some of the, some of the characters, they were really doing a great job of developing. they kind of threw into a blender a little bit and just kind of all bounced around each other. I um, agree with that. I thought Dustin Hoffman was really good. Now, some people could look at his performance and say, "All right, didn't I already see this performance by Jeff Bridges in The Squid and the Whale, you know, uh, years yeah, ago because it's very similar." Yeah. But it's still just because it's similar doesn't mean it's not something I want to I want to I don't want to watch. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching it. That. I love the <laughs> I just I I don't The
2: writing I'm, of his character it was enjoyable. It was not but I would say it was the least inspired writing.
1: No, it was pretty much, you know, I think Noam Baalback has got the voice down of the holier than thou disillusioned father figure that is very judgmental and right. very high. He's got that. He's, He's got, got, got that character down pat. He nailed it with Jeff Bridges and Squid in the Whale. Mm-hmm. This is a paler version of that. But it was still to me enjoyable to watch. I, I almost Chris. Have you heard the theory that whether or not this Meyerowitz family is basically the Squid and the Whale family grown up, hmm. like uh, ten, fifteen years, twenty years later? Be interesting because there are a lot of similarities. There yeah. were two sons and one daughter in the Squid in the uh, Squid and the Whale family. Oh, I, I don't remember the daughter. Well, maybe it was just the two sons. Maybe they okay. didn't have a daughter. Okay, but still, like, still, and then the father was very much academic and kind and of the a,
2: parents do divorce. They, and they do. So go, yeah. anyway. Interesting.
1: Um, I like this film a lot more than you, but I, I do agree. At the end of the day, it didn't amount to as much as I would have liked. Well, But uh, I would watch it again for Adam Sandler. Um, I thought Grace, Grace Van Patten, who played the daughter, was really good. Uh, you know, They just had an interesting relationship.
2: See, I think it's interesting. You look at the three reviews we've done in this show. You had high expectations for Taika Waititi and were let down. Yeah. I had really high expectations for Meyerowitz stories because of the director. Yeah. So same reason that you had high expectations for Thor. And I'm coming out on the other end of the spectrum where I was Hmm. like, I was up down. But the middle movie we reviewed, we seemed to both be on the same same page. page Well, we
1: went in with no expectations (laughs) for anything on any level. So what have we, as
2: always, we've mentioned before, what's the secret no expectations. No expectations.
1: <laughs> it's true. I didn't go in with any high expectations because I'm not as big a Noah Baumbach film um, as you are. Okay. I have not seen Mistress America or Francis Ha.
2: You mean you don't immediately go out and see what I recommend on this show? I am so disappointed. I'm
1: sorry, Chris. <laughs> Try to let you down. Uh, the oh, last man. Baumbach film I saw was While We're Young, and I was okay. lukewarm on that and film. And I really, really Oh, you really them. liked yeah. it? I was lukewarm on it. So... I like squid and the whale. That's my favorite, but I've only maybe seen two other of his films. So I don't have a lot of, I did not go in with high expectations. So uh, really just, I'm always fascinated by Adam Sandler because most of the films he's in, I either have not seen or have no desire to see, sure. but the ones he does pick sometimes and just goes for it and tries to do something different. I'm normally pretty impressed with the results. So I was hoping that was the case here. I was very rewarded by that. I again, even in the first five minutes of the film, which is basically all shot inside of a car, yep. between Adam Sandler and his daughter. Parallel part right away <laughs> is like, I get it. I know who these characters are right now, yeah, immediately. Absolutely. I get it. And I love their relationship. I love their banter. So yeah, I, I wish they had carried through the whole rest of the film that same kind of character development. But um it did turn a little more plot heavy. Little more. Well, we gotta have this happen to this character, and this has got to happen here, and it's got to make these characters do this. Where I was just enjoying just getting to know them in the first half, and and didn't feel like we had to push them through so many plot lines towards the end. So,
2: yeah, I. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it was as well-crafted as what I usually expect from Noah Baumbach. And I guess, you know, even though the chapters annoyed me, I guess maybe they were absolutely necessary because it was like – had all these several ideas and instead of trying to smooth it out and he was like – that was his way of assembling them. But it yeah. just was kind of like a, it was a Frankenstein version of a Noah Baumbach film as opposed to a well put together. I, this,
1: I don't remember. Somebody else said this, so I'm not taking this credit myself, this okay. idea. This would have been a really cool like seven or eight, nine episode Netflix series. Hmm. That would have been perfect give us a lot of time to get to know the characters, I spend a little that. bit of time on backstory with them and all that. And not this need in the last 30, 45 minutes to, to kind of cram in some storylines and plot you know, machinations. Yeah, I think this is the kind of thing. Just let us flesh them out. Spend an episode, getting to know the, the, the sister Jean, you know, I was just about to say, um, she, she's an interesting so character. I want to know a specific
2: point her. about kind of proving yeah. to me what you've just said about kind of ramping things up. Jean, you know, kind of interesting, and then there's like revelation is kind of thrown on you. And you're like, yeah. okay, and then never touched. Not on really yeah, done just, with anything
1: with that. And there was, so again, that so would have been a potential. perfect like one hour episode of yeah. just exploring the whole deal with Gene. You know, and then let's go back and now let's talk about Harold and uh, his new wife Maureen, Maureen. You know, kind of how their relationship is. I mean, there's just so much you could explore with these characters, and I felt like they were doing a great job of that in the first half, and then they just. Mm. Cram it, kind of keep it moving, hustling ahead. So um, overall, I still liked it. I enjoyed it. I just kind of like Squid and the Whale. I kind of wanted to spend more time getting to know these characters and and following them a little bit more. And these are more human, I think, than the Squid and the Whale characters were. Those were more – I felt like we, we were able to watch them, and I was probably fine with just the amount of time we had with them. These, I actually, I actually kind of want to know what's going on with Danny, the Adam Sandler character. I kind of want to follow him a little bit more. You know, I I think there could have breathed a little bit more and not try to cram it into a one film like this. So that's, that's just my, that's my recommendation. You know, Mr. Bombag, you hear that you want to (laughs) kind of come back and do a follow-up series. I'd be all for it. It'd be great. Fair enough. So that is the Meyerowitz stories. Here's the cool thing about it. It is on Netflix. If you are paying whatever it is, nine, $10 a month for Netflix, you could turn it on right now and watch it. Even before we finish this episode, you could be hitting the play remote button and starting to watch this film. So that's, Hey, I love watching movies in the movie theater. That is my preferred way of watching movies. But if you're going to make a movie and make it available online, like day one, awesome. And if it's not a film, I could probably get out to a movie theater and see locally. Great. I think it's a good vehicle for doing that. So, whoo, that was three reviews, Chris, just knocked through three reviews. So, what we're going to do is take a really quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to hit our recommendations of the show. This is our – Chris and I both have a recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out if you have the chance. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. Chris and I just caught our breath after our Whirlwind 3 review segment there. Uh, but we did review Thor Ragnarok, Brad Status, and the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected. And with varying opinions on all three films, it seemed like as well. So with that, uh, we're gonna get into our recommendations in just a second. But before we do, just to remind you, you're listening to Foot Candle Films. This is on themesh.tv podcast network. So go to themesh.tv, www.TheMesh.TV, themesh dot T V, not dot com dot T V to check out the Mesh Online Network. What you've got is a series of shows and programs ranging from sports to entertainment to news-related business, everything in between. you got a lot of different story uh, shows you can listen to. And the great thing is it's all free. You don't have to pay a dime. You subscribe to the shows you're interested in. When you subscribe to a show and you're in the whole podcast world, you get new episodes downloaded or sent to you automatically. So if you're on your iPhone, you go to the podcast store, subscribe to one of our shows. Every time you open up that podcast app on your phone, if we have a new episode, it will automatically be on your phone, ready to listen to, ready to go. It's a great way to do it. So we do encourage you to go and listen to other shows on the Mesh Network and give us some feedback. We'll share with you at the end of the show ways you can reach out to us and talk to us after the show as well. But thanks for listening and please go check out the other shows on the mesh network. We appreciate your support. All right, Chris final part of the show where we actually give a recommendation. So normally these are films that we are rating positively because we're obviously wanting people to go see them. So we are kind of doing a review, but it's a little more slanted and that this is a, we already know which ones we want to push out to people as a recommendation. So Chris, Chris, can I toss it over to you first and let, sure. you, uh, let you go first on this, this episode? Absolutely. What do you have to recommend for us?
2: Alan, I have the latest film by Mick G. And I know you're really excited about that because you know automatically who Mick G is, right? And you're a big fan of Mick G's work.
1: Unfortunately, I know that he directed these Charlie's Angels movies. (laughs) He did. And uh, he did some other kind of...
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah,
1: right. I just remember Charlie's Angels. I
2: remember Charlie's Angels and I was like, who's this guy and why is he calling himself Mick G? Still don't know the answer to that. Although I will say I think the first one was... Maybe halfway decent, maybe. And then they just
1: kind of... I like the first Charlie's Angels movie. It was over-the-top, cheese, kind of ridiculous, but it was fun. It knew it was being ridiculous. Which
2: is where this recommendation is going. Okay. No, I'm not recommending Charlie's Angels or Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, I believe, was the, <laughs> the name of the, yeah. the follow-up.
1: I cannot attest to enjoying the second one.
2: <laughs> no, I am recommending his uh, film, 2017, straight to Netflix. So it has something in another, with the Another horror straight to stories. Netflix. Okay, New well, all selected. right. But it is The Babysitter.
1: Ooh. Yes. Interesting.
2: And uh, it continues. This was not intentional, but apparently my last few recommendations have been horror movies, which was, you know, I guess it was October. I was feeling it. This is a horror movie, but it's a horror comedy, which is where the over-the-top, mm-hmm. ridiculous G style comes in. Okay. Yeah. Um, the storyline goes, and I'm not ruining anything because this happens in the first couple of minutes of the movie. Um, there's a young man who is kind of getting the age where he doesn't need a babysitter, sure. but his parents, he's still kind of so about 34,
1: 35. <laughs>
2: no, right. no, I think, he, I think he is in high school though. Okay, Yeah. Um, sure. So like, but I think like a freshman, probably but, like 14. Yeah. yeah you 40. know, so, but he still has a babysitter. His parents go out of town. He still gets this babysitter and, you, know, you just she's really nice to him and he just he's kind of a nerd and she's of course the blonde-haired hot babysitter who's mm-hmm. still really nice to him they have this like you know awesome relationship well, it just so happens though he stays up past his bedtime and finds out that his babysitter is part of a satanic cult. Oh. <laughs> that is trying As to you murder a <laughs> ritual in his house right. and has to come after him because wow. he's witnessed these people having this satanic ritual.
1: Same old story.
2: Right. I mean, we've seen this movie a thousand <laughs> no, times. So what I admire about this movie is I saw it in Netflix and I saw the poster and it was like, The babysitter. I'm like, what is this? And then I watched the trailer for it. And it looked like it was really having fun saying, yeah, we're a a horror comedy, but we're just going to be ridiculous. I was like, you know, the trailer looks like it could be interesting, but I know this is probably going to be a letdown. But heck, I've got like, you know, 92 minutes to kill. Actually, it's only 85. But I'm going to watch this thing anyway. Mm -hmm. I could not believe how good it was. Yeah, Is it going to win any Oscars? No, but it is the definition of mindless, turn your brain off entertainment. And it never takes itself too seriously. And there's some genuinely funny things in it, you Mm -hmm. know, and there are some jump scares in it too. Um, And subverting expectations in there as well. Um, (laughs) There's some bullying that goes on in the film. And then it does some interesting things with that, where at some one point, some of the villains, kind of try to stop the bullying going on. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just weird. Like it's just all kind of confused. Like, wait a second.
1: So it is kind of playing with the genre. So yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally.
2: Totally. Like, yeah. So
1: a little bit of a meta kind of, you know, knowing that they're, they're in a typical horror movie and certain things. Very self-aware of situations. It's done well. That's fun. Yeah. Like I, I thought the original scream movie was kind of in that same way where they kind of knew they were playing with the genre and they were having fun so with more, it so. uh,
2: more laughs and a less serious scream is kind okay. of what this thing is um, okay, so there again, you got a Netflix subscription I do. check out Meyerwitz, check out the babysitter.
1: Two very different films that could make for an interesting double feature one night. So, all right, The Babysitter. Chris, not a recommendation I would have picked for you, but I'm glad to see you. And if you have told me I would
2: have been liking a McG film, I'd have been like, no way.
1: One day we will find out, what does the G in McG stand for? (laughs) I I don't know. know. Is McGregor? Greatness. (laughs) Greatness? I don't know. All right, so um, you, you, uh, you have asked me in the past, you know I am... Have been a traditionalist Steven Spielberg fan?: Yes. Um, that was true in the '80s and mid-'90s. I, I was a big Steven Spielberg fan. Uh, I will, however, say I've not been the biggest fan of his work since then. Probably about the time Hook came out, I'm like, "All right, maybe, Come on. maybe me if you can. No, 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 there's Lincoln. been good films, but it has okay. not been the consistency and not been the level of films I wanted. So okay. So I am not recommending the Spielberg documentary on HBO.
2: Interesting.
1: I watched it. It's fine. Uh-oh. But it, it was much more of a puff piece Uh-oh. for Steven Spielberg than I wanted. Gotcha. It glossed over a lot of his, quote, failures. I think Hook barely got mentioned at all for mm-hmm. any reason, even though a lot of people do feel like that was probably one of his biggest misfires film-wise. The film always, which I personally like, but most people consider his less least impactful work, didn't even get a name drop, didn't even get a frame of footage on the film. It was basically let's talk about all the great stuff that Steven Spielberg's done and people are really just playing him up. The whole first 10 minutes is just a love fest of everybody being talking on camera how much they love Steven Spielberg. Hmm. I wanted something a little more. Give me more. Give me more of his true biography. Don't just give me a puff piece. And I felt like it was more of a puff piece than I wanted. Hmm. So I'm not recommending that documentary. However, if you want to see a really great documentary about show business, don't go see Spielberg. Save the $15 a month you need for HBO. Go to Hulu. Hulu has a documentary called Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show. Chris, did you ever see the Dana Carvey Show? Do you remember it at all? The one that was sponsored by Taco Bell? Uh, for only a couple of episodes, yes.
2: I think I did see an episode of well,
1: it. Well, it would have been easy to miss because they only aired seven episodes. Okay. Uh, it was a sketch comedy show. This is after Dana Carvey left Saturday Night Live.
2: Right. Oh, I remember. It was
1: remember. kind of a big deal, and it was like a big thing that they were putting on. I think it was ABC was doing the show. It was going to be the next big comedy thing. And they packed in a whole bunch of writers and, and, and actors in this that were not household names then, but are certainly household names. Now Robert Smigel, who's really big on, you know, Saturday night live. He just triumphed the infant insult dog. He's a really great writer, comedy writer. Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. was a writer on the Dana Carvey show, Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, Louis CK. All of them were writers and or actors on the show. This documentary, if you are interested all in show business and especially seeing how show business can go horribly wrong. (laughs) This, this one does it because it's unflinching. They basically say, okay, yeah, here's everything we did. Here's what we were trying to do. Here's how we got these people together to make this show. Here's exactly what we did wrong and why within the first five minutes of the first episode, audiences who had completely turned away from this the show to where it was dead in the water after one episode. It's amazing to hear them talking about this, mm-hmm. but it truly is like a really like true to life show business story okay It's a great great documentary mainly because everybody's being perfectly honest. They are saying, look hey we 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 thought we were gonna make this really avant-garde quirky sketch show and just really push buttons. And we realize within the first episode, as soon as we're watching it airs, like we've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> so we're never going to work in show business again. And it's just to hear them recollect this. And plus, it's funny. I mean, the documentary is really funny. These guys are really telling some great stories about the production of this show. That I just thought was a lot of fun to listen to. Hmm. I am a big Saturday Night Live sketch right. comedy guy, so this was right in my wheelhouse. But it was just—it was fun. It's not going to change your life. It's—it's it's an hour and a half you'll spend. And whether you've even ever seen the show or not, it's still just a fun documentary to watch and kind of see these guys who, luckily, are all pretty big names now. So it's not like anybody lost their careers out of this. But at the time, they were they were scraping by. They they, they were no names anybody, hmm. uh, just trying to break into show business, and this was their first foyer. And they thought they had just killed their careers, like in thirty minutes. So, wow! Interesting documentary. I applaud Hulu for putting it out there. It's too so, funny to fail. Too funny to fail. Okay. The life and death of the Dana Carvey show. Um, it is really. It's just a, maybe an hour fifteen or so. It's really pretty, relatively short. But I just think a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Okay. So that's our recommendations: The Babysitter yes. and Too Funny to Fail, which really interesting. The Babysitter, Netflix original. Too Funny to Fail, Hulu original. There you go. So we have bypassed the traditional studio routes with our recommendations today. Is that a harbinger harbinger of the way things are going? Possibly so. And we reviewed three films. One of the three are on Netflix. About half our show, a little more than half our films discussed, were online streaming originals. Interesting. Uh, Thor, Ragnarok, still playing in movie theaters today. Uh, Brad Status, Probably not going to find anywhere in your local multiplex, but we do recommend checking it out when it comes online available. And then you got the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected, and that is available on Netflix today as well. Uh, So, Chris, if people wanted to follow up with us, talk about any of our reviews, give us any feedback, ask us any questions, how might one go about doing so?
2: want to give us some feedback, just write an email to info at tv and just mention Foot Candle, the subject line. You can do that to tell us something we got right, something we got wrong, why Meyerwitz is the greatest thing that's ever been made, as opposed to just being minor bomb back. Feel free to write that in. <laughs> also, Alan and I both have accounts on Letterboxd, where we try to sometimes write reviews of films, but at the very least, we try to keep a diary of the films that we do watch, and that's Letterboxd without the E. So that's another way you can keep up with us. I would be remiss as well to say, hello, everyone that was interested in hearing about the film festival. We haven't talked about it for probably three or four shows. Maybe True. Yeah. <laughs> if that, maybe it was just two film submissions are open again. So, mm. you know, if you're a filmmaker and you would love to come to North Carolina, I'm losing my voice apparently, <laughs> but, um, film submissions are open. So check us out at foot candle film and um,
1: consider submitting a film film That's freeway. The, is usually the easiest. Yeah. For the 2018 festival coming up uh, next September and uh, yeah, send the films in. We'd love to see them. We'd love to help our screening committee review them. And, and as we work towards our selections for next year's festival, we had a great festival in 2017. We are looking to another great festival in 2018. So thanks for spreading the word and helping us get some film submissions in. All right, Chris. We're going to wrap up the show. Thanks for everybody for listening. This has been Foot Candle Films on the Mesh TV. Check out our past episodes or subscribe to make sure you get all future episodes by going to the going to the Foot Candle Films page and clicking on the sub, uh, subscribe button, which will take care of you in iTunes. So we'll make sure you get you covered there.
2: If you happen to be in iTunes, you can always give us a rating too.
1: That would be nice. That would that would be nice. That would be a that's a way. You know, we don't charge you for the show. Give us a review. That would be a nice way of kind of giving a little, a little thank you back to us. We appreciate paying it forward. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. See you
2: in the ticket line.